Open your Bibles up to John chapter 10. We're going to do sort of a, maybe it's a whirlwind tour, trying to answer another question about the church. Last week, we tried to define the church, and in part, we said that the church, when we're trying to define what the church is, that the church is uh, the people of God who have been saved by faith and repentance through Jesus Christ and who have been united to Him and to one another by the Holy Spirit in the new covenant. And one of the things that we tried to do, we tried to stress the fact that this new covenant people of God that He has created according in fulfillment of His promise, that He has created as a result of the death, resurrection, and ascension of His Son, that He is created by the regenerating work of the Holy Spirit and this gathering in has both a visible and an invisible quality to it. On the one hand, because this new covenant work is something that happens on the hearts and minds of God's people, I will write my laws on their heart. I will take out the heart of stone and give them a heart of flesh. That's something that happens on the inside, something that we can't see with the natural eye. There is an invisible quality to that, and there's also an invisible quality to the church in that there are places where the New Testament talks about the people of God as the church as existing not just here in time and space and in different locations on the earth, but even can refer to the church as being gathered together up in heaven. That's in Hebrews 12. That being said, there is a visible quality to the church as there is with so many other things that God does. What God does even in his spiritual acts, he does in such a way that he gives visible evidence of it. So, the, uh, the invisible spiritual work that he does on the hearts and minds of his people individually is seen by virtue of the fact that when he changes us on the inside, we change on the outside too. The way that we act, the way that we speak, the things that we chase after, the things that we reject and we turn away from, those things that we do in our behavior and conduct is an external, a visible witness of an inner reality. Writ large with God's people when he brings them together although we can't necessarily see inside every single person's heart and mind to know who truly belongs to the Lord and who doesn't. Nevertheless, God has drawn His people together in groups, congregations that we recognize as the local church to make a visible show of the fact that God is creating a spiritual people. So there is an invisible quality to the church, but there's also a visible quality. So having said that, because the church is about the people of God who have been made new spiritually, and, that, and they are united to Christ and to one another, then a natural question comes in, well, if the church is essentially a gathering of God's people, is, is that all it is? In other words, uh, Matthew 18, here's a verse that people like to throw out frequently. Uh, Jesus says, I tell you the truth, where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am in their midst. So if I have two Christians in a room, do I have a church? You don't need to answer. If I have two or three, do I have a church? If I have 200 or 300, do I have a church? 
If I have, let's say, 200. If I have 200 Christians out on a football field, do I have a church? If I have 200 Christians in a Bible study or a seminar, do I have a church? What, you see what we're saying? What, what counts as the church beyond just some general idea that the church is a spiritual people that God is gathering together. And the church has actually, through its history, has wrestled with this for centuries, trying to nail down, not just in terms of what do we think the church is, what do we think the church ought to be, but what in Scripture gives us an idea or orients us to what the church truly is. What are the marks or the, the, the identification uh, traits that we can see that says, ah, there, there's a church. All right, so if you have your outline, I'm going to go ahead and give you the answer up front, and then I'm going to try to support it as we go through. So if you were to ask a question, where is a church found? Or some people phrase the question as, what are the marks of a church? What things do you have to have in order to call this group of people not just a group of Christians, but a church gathering? All right, the answer we could give as something like this. The church exists wherever God's Word is preached, and Christ's ordinances are observed. A church exists, or the church exists, wherever God's Word is preached and Christ's ordinances are observed. Now, ordinances is, is maybe a little bit of a fancy word. By ordinances, let me just go ahead and tell you up front, we take that to mean those things that, that Christ Himself has ordained, that He has commanded the church to observe, and we, and we would say on the authority of Scripture, God's Word, that there are two ordinances, baptism and the Lord's Supper. So you could say then, if you wanted to flesh this out a little bit more, the church exists or a church exists anywhere the Word of God is preached and baptism and the Lord's Supper is observed. That's where you find a church. Turn with me to John chapter 10. Let me start by asking the Lord to help us as we go through the remainder of our time. Father, open our eyes to see the beauty of what you have done in creating the church by the power of your word and gathering us together, not because of an innate desire that we have, but because of a transformed heart that gives us desires to be with one another, to exalt you through making Jesus Christ look like a great Savior. We ask that we would do that by faith and the work of your Holy Spirit working in our midst so that all that we do honors you, and it's in the name of Christ that we pray this. Amen. So, a church exists where God's Word is preached. Why would people through generations say that one of the necessary marks for a church is the Word being preached. If you don't have a preacher, or if you don't have someone preaching the Word, some people would say, you have reason to question whether or not you actually have a church gathering there. You may have a spiritual gathering, you may have a group of Christians, but I'm not sure if you have a church. And there is a difference. Let me give you three reasons why the Word being preached is a mark of the people of God gathered together as a church. We start in John 10. 
And in John 10, what we see is that the church is gathered when we hear God's Word through the voice of Christ. What brings a church together is God's Word in the voice of Christ. If God isn't speaking through Christ, the people are not coming together. Look at what Jesus Himself says in John chapter 10, start at verses 3 and 4, and then we're going to hop to a couple other verses in this chapter. Jesus says in John 10, 3, to him the doorkeeper opens, talking about to the true shepherd, and the sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he puts forth all his own, he goes ahead of them, and the sheep follow him because they know his voice. Skip down to verse 16. Jesus says, I have other sheep which are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will hear my voice, and they will become one flock with one shepherd. And then down in verse 27, my sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. Now, Oftentimes, what Jesus says here in John 10 about my sheep hear my voice is read, as is our want, in a very personal, individualistic way. I am one of Christ's disciples because I have heard His voice calling me out of my sin, and I followed Christ. Therefore, I am one of His sheep. But notice in light of what Jesus says, how much of a minimalistic view that is of the illustration of sheep hearing the shepherd's voice. Jesus says, I call my sheep, they hear my voice, and they come, and what does Jesus do as sheep are coming in? He gathers them together to make them not random individual sheep, but to make them a flock. I call, my sheep come to me because my sheep hear my voice. They recognize my call as the call of their shepherd. They come to me and then I lead my sheep plural, my flock of sheep, I lead them out, and they gather together with me. JT alluded to a, a quote from Luther earlier in, the, earlier in the service. I have a Luther quote. He didn't know that we were both going to be doubling up on Luther. We'll have to pick another guy for next week. Luther said, Reflecting on the essential nature of God's Word says, God's Word will be with His people, and His people will be with His Word. You get that? In other words, wherever God's Word goes out, wherever it's announced or proclaimed or, in, in our vernacular, preached, we have reason to believe that God's sheep 
who followed Jesus, that they're going to come to that voice. Not because they hear my voice or JT's voice or Andy's voice or anyone else, but because in the words of Scripture, they hear with spiritual ears the voice of Christ calling to them. And when you hear the voice of Christ and when you see with the eyes of faith the person of Christ, Jesus says, when you see and hear me, you've seen and heard the Father. And if anyone belongs to the Father and belongs to the Son, they're going to come to where the Father and Son are. They're going to come to where the Word is being preached. So I say again, we may not think consciously about this, but the fact that you are here this morning is proving the very thing that Jesus is saying in John 10. You are here not because you thought it was a good idea to be here. You could be doing 20 other things right now. Why are you here? Well, I hope you're here in part because you want to hear the Word of the Lord. You want to hear the voice of your Savior speaking to you in ways that only He can. You want your heart to resonate with God's truth in His words and say, yes, that's the Jesus that I know. That's where I want to be. Think about how good God is to design a people this way. What's the, what's the latest, what's the latest uh, movie craze that we can go back to? What's this little spontaneous thing here? This is not scripted. Somebody, what, what's the, the latest movie that everybody was going out to see? Right, none of, none of you see movies, I understand. Y'all stay home and pray and fast. And, okay. All right, let's go back. Uh, Star Wars or Lord of the Rings or something like that, okay? Comes out, everybody has to see it, but it's not just that they have to see it. You, you talk to people and you say, have you seen the movie? Oh, yeah, I've seen it three times. You've seen it three times? Well, I've seen it four times. No kidding. Okay. Want to go see it again? Yeah. So these people who have seen the movie between them half a dozen or more times between themselves, they go and they watch the movie again. Why? Is the movie going to change in the way it resolves itself at the end? Is there going to be a twist that they didn't see the first four times that now they're going to get in the fifth time? No. The reality is, is that our joy and excitement in something right? Whether that's a person, whether that's a movie, whether that's an object, a scene, a landscape, our joy is magnified and increased when we share it together with other people, right? We are never content. The things that we love, this is why you know what your heart loves because you're going to talk about it. If you love college football, you're going to talk about college football. If you love shopping, you're going to talk about shopping. If you love your grandkids, you're going to talk about your grandkids. What you love, you will talk about, and you will want other people to hear 
those words. This is the same thing that happens when God draws his people together. He puts within the hearts of his people a desire to hear his voice, and the desire to hear his voice is magnified and is intensified when we hear it and recognize it together. You cannot duplicate that joy. You can't duplicate or manufacture that reality through a live stream sitting on your couch by yourself. You, you can enjoy, you can, you can respond, you can be convicted, you can be comforted, you can rejoice in the truth that you hear through a podcast or through a live stream or something like that. I'm, I'm not denying that. I'm not saying that you shouldn't do those things. I, I do podcasts, but there is something qualitatively different about God's people coming together because they say, today we are stopping everything else that we're doing because our shepherd has called us together so that we could listen to him. Number two, another reason that we know that God's word is a mark of a true church is because Paul tells us in Ephesians 2, if you want to go ahead and turn there, that the church is built on God's Word. Ephesians chapter 2, look at verses 19 through 22. Paul, after talking about the fact that God has made one new man, one new body between Jew and Gentile, some, a new people group, Paul says in Ephesians 2.19, so then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and are of God's household, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole building being fitted together is growing into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also are being built together into a dwelling of God in the Spirit. You hear that progressive language? On the one hand, God's people stand on a foundation that has been laid. This foundation, this church has been built on the foundation of the apostles and Christ. But also, progressively, the continual building up of this body, of this living, breathing temple that we know of as the church, is being built up because of the foundation that it rests on. All right, listen to me, people. One of the things that we, that we miss or that we don't consider when we read language like this, we think of a foundation as sort of that bland, unfortunate hard work that has to be done at the beginning so you can get to the real stuff of the house that you build on top of it, right? A foundation is you set it and forget it. So when Paul says then that the church is built on the foundation of the apostles, what they taught, what they wrote, that Christ is the cornerstone, the thing that keeps everything square and right, in right proportions, based on His work and His words, we think, oh, yeah, that doctrinal stuff, that stuff that, that people 
the Christians are always, the pastor is always going on and on about, that stuff is foundational stuff. Once we agree that we have that foundation, then we can go on to bigger and better things. Wrong. Everything that the church does, everything that the church does, it does because of God's Word. Everything. If you try to build a church body or a church family, if you try to build a spiritual people on something other than the foundation of God's Word, you may be able to prop something up, but it's not going to stand long term because it doesn't have anything solid that it's resting on. The ground is going to shift underneath. Culture is going to change, and what looks cool today is not going to be cool tomorrow. You need something, we need something that we know is rock-solid, immovable, that we can, generation after generation after generation, continue to count on and rest on and build on that we know is not going to change, and that's God's Word. So one of the things that we ought to do, just practically speaking, as a church, if the church is built on the foundation of God's Word, if everything that we do ought to be downstream from hearing the Word of the Lord, then one of the things that we could do just very practically is when we talk about what we want to do or what our plans are or what ministry we need here or there, we should always come back and say, is this what the Word says? Is this what God has revealed? Where do I see this fill-in-the-blank, this effort, this club, this group, this ministry, this niche, where do I see that reflected in the Word? And if I don't see it clearly articulated in Scripture, or if I don't find that pattern manifesting itself in God's Word, I ought to take a serious pause and say, well, maybe if God's Word does not provide a foundation for that feature or that function, maybe we don't need it. The Word of God is foundational to the church in the same way that reading and writing is foundational to education. A kid does not learn to read so that he can say after two or three years, well, I've got the reading down, now I can go on to the real learning. We have our after-school tutoring ministry that we have as a practical way to express the love of Christ to the community around us because we know that reading is something that you do for the rest of your life. If you don't get reading in, you're not going to learn. Or, at the very least, you're going to be severely hindered. Church, if you do not consider the Word of God foundational, like we consider reading to be foundational to ongoing learning, the church, I don't care if it's Edgewood or any other church in the city, state, or nation, or world, the church is going to be severely hindered. It will not last. That's why God's Word is a mark of the true church, because it's built on God's Word. Number three, turn to 1 Timothy 3.15. The church is the support of God's Word. 
This was read earlier in the service. 1 Timothy 3.15, Paul says to Timothy, I'm in, uh, in case I'm delayed, I write so that you will know how one ought to conduct himself in the household of God, which is the church of the living God. So, God's household is God's church. It's synonymous terms there. Which is the church of the living God. And then notice the, the descriptive terms that Paul uses to say who or what the church is. The pillar and support of the truth. Or some of your versions may have something like the, the buttress or the bulwark or something along those lines. What does it mean to say that the church is the support and pillar of the truth. It could mean, and by saying it could mean, I'm, I'm letting you know ahead of time, this is not what it means. It could mean that the church is the support of God's truth in the sense that, well, God's truth needs someone to back it up. It needs to be propped up. The church is the group of people, the entity that props up God's truth. No. God's truth is truth regardless of what exists. He does not need us for His truth to be truth. So what does it mean then for the church to be the pillar and support of God's truth? I think this is what it means. It's the idea that what the church is doing is like a pillar that lifts up or holds up a roof where in the ancient days you would have had beautiful fancy artwork, right? It holds it up so it can be seen. The bigger, the more magnificent the building that's being constructed, the more significant the pillars were. The church, Paul is saying, is the entity that God has chosen to put His truth on display, to hold it up. If you want to find God's truth, you have to go to where the church is. That's the ground that you stand on to look around and to see God's truth. Hold your place here. Go to James chapter 1. James chapter 1, verse 18. Listen to what James says. Listen very carefully. James 1, 18. James says, In the exercise of His will, He, talking about God, brought us forth by the word of truth so that we would be a kind of first fruits among His creatures. In the exercise of His will, He brought us forth by His Word so that we would be a kind of first fruits among His creatures. How do you know that God's Word is powerful to create material realities? How do you know that God's Word is powerful and effective enough to create a universe. How do you know? Go outside. 
What do you see when you go outside? The psalmist says you're seeing the glory of God put on display. All of creation sings His praises. Why? Because elsewhere the psalmist says, because He commanded and they were created. How do you know that the Word of God is powerful to bring something out of nothing? Because when we step outside, we see it. Creation displays the power of God's Word to create reality, to create material substance out of nothingness. Change the question a little bit. How do you know that God's Word is powerful enough to create spiritual realities where there was nothing before? Come inside. The power of God to create physically is seen outside in the created order around us. The power of God's Word to create spiritual realities, to make a people where there were no people before, is seen when the church comes together and gathers. And we say then, look at what God has done by the power of His creative Word, through His Son, by the power of the Holy Spirit. The church is the pillar and support of that truth. The church is where you see that there is something different, or where we ought to see that there is something different about what these Christians say that God did, because if it wasn't for the fact that there was something real to what they believe, these people with all their differences in appearance, in backgrounds, in incomes, in opinions, in convictions, these people would not come back week in and week out to sit with each other and to sing the same songs and to hear the same message, to pray together, to talk together. There's got to be something new here that wasn't here before because of the Word of God. This is why the church puts on display the truth of God, not necessarily you as an individual, although there are ways that we do that individually, but anyone can talk a good game about the transforming power of God's Word when I don't have to rub shoulders with somebody else. You go grab a cup of coffee with me and ask me if I'm a loving person. And if I want to, I can tell you, oh, you would not believe how loving I am. Well, that's just what God has done. He has made me a loving person. You don't know that I have been made, or not made, into a loving person until you see me mix in with people that I find it difficult to love. Then you get to see, is what he said God did for him, is that actually real? Oh, well, it must be real, because look at how he loves them. In the early centuries of the church, as the Romans were trying to wrestle with this new movement of Christianity, one of the people who wrote and said, here's what we have been seeing, made the remark, they seem crazy, they seem nuts, but oh, how they love each other. There was something to the gathering of the church and the way that they fellowshiped together that presented the truth of God's Word in a, in a way that could not be ignored, that could not remain invisible.
This is why the Word is a necessary and essential mark of the church. So, if the church, if as a church we are not gathering on a regular basis, then you have to ask yourself some pretty basic questions. Is it because I don't really have a great desire to gather with other people who also enjoy hearing God's voice? If God's Word is going to have God's people, and I'm not with God's people, what does that suggest? What does that indicate? I'm not saying it it means that if you're not here at church, you're not really a Christian. But at the very least, what I would say is, in light of what Scripture has to say about the centrality of God's Word functioning with its people, with His people, is that if you are not gathering with God's people to hear His Word spoken over us as a congregation, something is not quite right. You may not be as spiritually healthy as what you think you are. Do you not gather with the church because you don't think it's important to be part of the building, that the temple where God is putting His glory on display? Do you think you've moved on, that the foundational stuff, well, that's the ABC stuff. I don't need that anymore. That's what the, that's what the kids, the Christians in remedial classes, that's what they need. They need church. I'm past that. They're just going to slow me down. You think too highly of yourself. Or do you think that you can display the reality of God's Word and its creative power by yourself to the same degree or better that a congregation of people are able to display? Let me do this quickly. The second mark the ordinances. We're going to have, a little bit later in this series, we're going to have an entire sermon given over to baptism and the Lord's Supper. I know, I know. Merritt, I don't know if we'll be able to stand all the excitement. Just, all right, hold on. The reason I say that is because I'm not going to go into a lot of detail with just a couple minutes left into the ordinances. Let me just say this, though, and you can come back tonight at 6 o'clock. We'll be discussing this a little bit more. The reason that the ordinances, baptism and the Lord's Supper, are marks of the church is because, number one, the ordinances are a visible display of God's Word, and number two, the ordinances signify our participation in the new covenant. In other words, when we see someone baptized, when we see them get wet because they are put under the water, we say that physical act is reminding us or signifying for us a spiritual reality that we can't see, namely that that person has been washed of their sins, that that person's old life has been buried with Christ but has been raised up to walk in a new way. There is a realness to the material water. There is a realness or reality to the bread and to the drink that we take in the Lord's Supper that points to spiritual realities as a way to say, okay, we can't see this with the natural eye. We can't touch it, but we are reminded that as real as what this water is, as real as what this bread and this juice is, that's how real the tenets of our faith are. 
It's a symbol, a sign of the reality of the Christian faith. The other reason that the ordinances are important is not just simply because they signify that the new covenant in Christ is real and true, but it signifies that it is real and true for me and for you. When the church gathers and when the church as a congregation shares in the Lord's Supper, we are saying together, collectively, that we as a group, we identify ourselves as the people of God. And by taking communion, we are saying all that God has said about the new covenant promises and blessings that He has given to us in Christ by virtue of the fact that we are taking this sign and seal of the new covenant, we are professing and claiming that those promises are for us because this meal is for us. So let me ask you a question. If this is true, if the two essential marks of a church that separate out a church from just another gathering of Christians is the preached Word and observing the ordinances that Christ commanded. Where is the church most clearly found or most clearly seen? In your Sunday school class? If you go to Sunday school at 9.30, have you done church for the day? All right, I've met with the church. I'm out. Enjoy the rest of the service. What about a, a Titus 2 group? If you get together as a Titus 2 group, have you done church together? What about an accountability group, a recovery group, a mother support group, a father support group? A church outing, EBC travels, is, is, that, is that a gathering of the church? Where do we find the word preached and the ordinances enjoyed? Where? Here. In here. At this time, on a regular basis. Do not misunderstand what I'm saying. I'm not saying that things like Bible study and small groups are unimportant. I'm not saying that at all. I'm not saying that those things do not in some way bear a reflection on our participation in the body of Christ. But listen to me, people. Those other things like Bible studies and small groups and accountability groups and stuff like that, they are more like branches and twigs than the trunk. I would be happy if every single person here or in the sound of my voice on live stream or something like that, if they were here not only on Sunday, but if they were here at Wednesday or Tuesday morning or something like that, if they were here three or four days a week, that would thrill me to death. But listen, let me, let me say this. If you told me I have one and only one time that I can gather with the church, when should that be? Everything else I'm going to miss. So what's it going to be, Merritt? I would say Sunday morning, 10.30. Because 
in the Sunday morning 1030 gathering, you don't have a group of senior adults. You have a group of senior adults who are mixed in with kids and middle-agers and empty nesters and young parents. And you have all of God's flock at Edgewood who are together sitting and listening to the word being spoken and being preached to them. And in the 1030 gathering, you have the congregation together sharing in the family meal the sign of the covenant that we continue to enjoy on a regular basis when we take the Lord's Supper. And you are not getting communion when you go to your Sunday school class. You're not reminding yourself of the corporate covenant that God has made with us when you're with your Titus 2 group or your men's Bible study or EBC travels or anything like that. That is something that is unique that happens when we gather weekly the first day of the week to identify ourselves first and foremost as the covenant people of God. This should be the foundation. This should be the center point of everything else that happens in the life of Edgewood Baptist. And I hope it will be. Let's pray. Father, in the kind intention of your will, you not only gave us grace and mercy to forgive our individual and personal sins, but you extended grace to us in such a way that you reconciled us to yourself and to one another. And you have chosen in your wisdom to display your power and glory by bringing redeemed sinners together to sing your praises, to listen humbly and joyfully to your word. You have given us the privilege of bearing witness to the reality of your saving power when we gather together. Forgive us, Lord, for thinking lightly of your church. Thank you, Lord, for being so patient and gracious to bring us back to the truth of your word so that we could see with clearer eyes what it is that you are doing through your people, the church. May we prize that. May we relish it, and may we do it in such a way that we make Jesus look great by the power of your Spirit. Amen. Amen. Let's stand and uh, sing just a short portion of The Lord is My Salvation as we close, as we give Him all praise. You are dismissed.